This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Welcome to our Squiz the Election series, your shortcut to the 2022 federal election. In the last Squiz the Election episode, we talked all about the major parties, who they are and what they stand for. Now it's time to get across the minor parties and the influence that they could have on the outcome of the election. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Casting our minds back to the 2019 election, 145 of the 151 seats in the House of Representatives were won by the major parties of the Coalition and Labor. By my maths, that leaves six that were picked up by the minor parties and independent candidates. Doesn't sound like a lot, Claire. No, it doesn't. But the influence on the end result and the way the resulting term of government ran exceeds that number. And that's because the numbers have been tight in the last couple of elections, which is to say the coalition haven't won those polls by a lot. And that's the thing, because the coalition has had to work hard to have the numbers on the floor of the parliament when it comes to voting on legislation and motions from the opposition to pursue its agenda. In the next episode, we're going to drill into the independent candidates and what's happening on that scene in the upcoming election. But let's stay focused on the minor parties for now. What do you have to do to be a minor party? It's an important question, so thank you for asking. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, There are heaps of them. You'll notice that when it comes time to vote, and they're important when it comes to the balance of power, particularly in the Senate. But to be recognised as a minor party by the Parliament, you need to have more than a couple of representatives. And if you have that, you get some extra support. It can be as simple as having a dedicated room in Parliament House to meet, but importantly, you also get extra staff. Getting minor party status from the government of the day can be a real game changer for them. The biggest minor party in the Australian Parliament is the Greens. They've been on the political scene for a while. Yeah, they have. They're the party that prioritises ecological and social justice objectives. As for those who vote for them, the Greens attract support from people who are disaffected by the mainstream parties, uh, younger voters and individuals who prioritise environmental issues and progressive social policies are the ones who follow them. Last election, the Greens received 10.4% of the national primary vote in the House of Reps poll, which was about on par with the 2016 result. But within that, there are some states where they got more than that. Yeah, the party's highest vote was captured in the ACT with 16.8%, followed by Victoria with 11.9% and then Western Australia with 11.6%. The state where they got the least support was in New South Wales with 8.7%. But when you boil it down to converting that sort of support to bums on seats in the reps, which is where the government is formed, the Greens have just one member. That's the party leader, Adam Bant, who is the member for Melbourne. The Senate is where the Greens have had the most success. They have nine senators representing each of our six states. But this time around, they're looking to use their support to influence the outcome of the election and push for a change in government. Yeah, Bant says that the Greens are targeting nine marginal seats where they have a chance to win uh, or where a big result in favour of the Greens will shore up Labor members and tip out Liberal members. 
So just explain that a bit, because the Greens aren't going for wins across the board so it can win the election for themselves. Well, they'd probably like to do that, but just to be realistic, uh, you can't do that when your primary vote is so low. But the way our preferential voting system works for the reps, it's that if you put a number one next to the Greens candidate's name, chances are you're not going to put a number two next to the Liberal or Nationals candidate's name. Uh, Their agendas are just too far apart. So you're likely to preference the Labor candidate ahead of the coalitions. And when the votes are counted and the candidates are eliminated as they narrow it down to that two-party preferred result, your vote can translate into support for Labor. This talk of preferences is only making me look forward to our episode on how the votes are counted. I'm sure there are a few listeners out there with me. But what you've just described reminds me of what coalition politicians say during an election campaign, that a vote for the Greens is a vote for Labor. Yeah, that's exactly what that refers to. And look, you know, we're all free-spirited people. You can order your preferences however you want when it comes time to vote. But that's the thinking behind it, and it does overwhelmingly bear out that way. Uh, The other thing to note about the Greens in this election is that they're under threat from independents focused on climate issues. Uh, So they're campaigning hard to be seen as the pick for voters concerned about that issue. It's all happening. The other party to note slightly left of the middle ground is the Centre Alliance. As the name suggests, they do have a focus on mainstream policies, but they are social liberals and prioritise issues like action on climate change and the establishment of an integrity commission. Yeah, their MP is Rebecca Sharkey. She won the plum South Australian seat of Mayo in spectacular fashion uh, from the Liberals in 2016. She was a member of the Nick Xenophon team, which changed its name to the Centre Alliance. Uh, It's a party that's very focused on South Australian issues. And really what's interesting for them this time around is what might happen in the Senate in South Australia. So let's just park that for now. Okay, that's one side of the coin. Let's now take a look at the parties that are moving and shaking to the right. Claire, sticking with the minor parties who currently have MPs in the House of Reps, there's Catter's Australia Party. That's its full name. No surprise who represents them. Yep, Bob Catter. (laughs) He's the member for Kennedy in far north Queensland. He's a former Nationals MP who split from them back in 2001. He's been a politician for almost 50 years. He's a conservative and he's quite a character. Uh, He doesn't have minor party status in the parliament, but he's hopeful. And you might remember that he was one of the three MPs who had a say in backing Labor and Julia Gillard back in the hung parliament of 2010. Wasn't that a whole saga? Uh, Sure was. (laughs) One Nation didn't have a seat in the House of Reps in the last term of government, but it's a party that has been around for a while. Essentially, it's been around since the late 1990s after Pauline Hanson made a splash as the member for Oxley. Yeah, we'd need a whole episode to get (laughs) across Pauline Hanson's life and times. Uh, But the thing to know at this point in time is that she's a senator, uh, she's a Queenslander, and she's controversial. It's a political lifetime of controversy. At the last election, One Nation secured 3.1% of the national vote. It's holding steady this time around, according to the polls. And in recent times, she's been focused on discontent and the response to the way Australia's governments have handled COVID and vaccination mandates. 
Hanson's been prominent at some of those so-called freedom rallies that have been held around the country. She's been clear that she's not an anti-vaxxer, but she believes it's wrong to force people to be vaccinated in order for them to be able to go to work or to go to a restaurant or to the footy and so on. One Nation has more than 50 candidates up for election for the House of Reps this time around, and Hanson herself is up for re-election for her Senate seat. It brings One Nation into direct competition with Clive Palmer's United Australia Party because they're essentially fighting for the same voter. And Hanson herself is up against Clive Palmer for a spot in the Senate. Uh, Palmer also has his name on the ticket in Queensland. It's a very nice segue to the United Australia Party, the UAP. They're the yellow mob with the text messages and the billboards and the ads. The UAP are everywhere and that's because they have a massive budget thanks to Palmer's very deep pockets. Yeah, having a mining magnate as your founder and chairman will do that. (laughs) Uh, It also has an MP in Parliament. That's Craig Kelly. He's the leader of the party. Kelly left the Liberals last year under a cloud over spreading COVID misinformation. The Liberals will be working really hard to win that seat of Hughes back. And in this campaign, they're planning on running candidates in all 151 seats. That is a massively expensive undertaking and he's expected to spend more than $100 million on this election campaign. Reports from January said he'd already spent about $30 million. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, The UAP are also looking to harvest support from those who oppose COVID lockdowns and vaccination mandates. So there'll be lots of eyes on whether there are votes in that, uh, how that plays out with One Nation having an almost identical platform and how that might affect support for the coalition is really interesting focus. Because it's the coalition that support for One Nation and the UAP might cannibalise, not the Labor Party. Yeah, that's right. And much like what we talked about with the Greens and Labor, if you're voting for Clive Palmer's or Pauline Hanson's parties, you're more likely to choose the Liberals or Nationals candidate before the Labor candidate when it comes time to vote. All right, Claire, have you got the numbers to back that one up? I've got numbers, don't you worry. Mm -hmm. So at the 2019 election, 85% of Greens voters preference Labor over the coalition. It's not as happy a story for the coalition because 65% of those voting One Nation or for the UAP preference the Liberals or Nationals before Labor. It'll be particularly interesting for the coalition this time around because there's a big question mark about whether One Nation and UAP voters will be out to punish the Morrison government over COVID. All will be revealed on polling day. That's the minor parties covered off. They really do bring a lot of colour and movement to the election. And we hope that this episode has helped you get around some of the factors that will shape this campaign. Next episode, we'll be talking about the independents. Yeah, and that's going to be super interesting because there's some factors at play there when it comes to funding the independence campaigns that could be a really big deal this election. So we'll get you across that. Just remember that if you have questions about the election, we are here to answer them in our new podcast called Ask the Squiz. It'll be out on Saturday mornings. Email us your questions to hello at thesquiz.com.au and we'll cover off the top of the most frequently asked questions each week. We'll do our very best to answer them. I'm keen to know a bit more about the race to win a Senate seat because that's where the minor parties and independents really shine. So, Claire, take a note of that one, please. Okay, got it. Got it. Writing it down. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Until next time. This 
This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. As one of Australia's largest profit for member super funds, they have a range of helpful tools, like their My Retirement Planner, which allows you to see how much you'll need for retirement and provides an easy to understand plan of how to get there. And better still, it's free for all. Read the PDS and TMD at aware.com.au.